with topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data. Foley and Larder's Innovative Technology Insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome everyone. My name is Natasha Allen. I am a partner in Foley's Silicon Valley and San Francisco offices and the co-chair for AI within the innovative technology sector. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing AI in healthcare. Joining me to provide their expertise on the topic are Jeff Elton. Jeff is the CEO of Concert AI, an AI SaaS solutions company providing research solutions and patient-centric solutions for life sciences, innovations, and the world's leading providers. Prior to joining Concert AI, Jeff was the Managing Director at Accenture Strategy Patient Health, Global Chief Operating Officer and SVP Strategy at Novartis Institutes of Biomedical Research, Inc. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Natasha. Thank you for joining me today. So let's just hop right into it. So similar to many industries, AI technology will have a great impact on healthcare, the healthcare industry. However, I've read that there are some challenges with regards to the implementation of AI in healthcare. And I'm just wondering, Jeff, do you have a perspective of whether, do you think AI adoption in healthcare is lagging? So I think it's hard to say whether it's lagging, it's certainly advancing. But let me just sort of address some of the questions that come up around AI in healthcare. And, and actually the questions are good questions. So I don't wanna actually disregard them or disregard the merit of the question. So when you think about AI represents is, is a model that allows you to either predict features of a patient to kind of otherwise make an interpretation or augment an interpretation that a radiologist or somebody may do. And it has the ability to handle vast amounts of data and information. And usually it's been trained. And this is where some of the concerns come in. That training usually comes off of retrospective data. This could be retrospective images. These could actually be digital pathology, radiological, electronic medical record data, et cetera. So part of this actually has to do with representativeness. Now, is the underlying set truly representative of the population that's being looked at? Transparency. Can you have confidence in the training methodology? Did you pick the right kind of group to actually do the primary training? But there's a process of conserving or reserving some for doing ex post validation, and you want some randomization between those as you begin doing that. And then stability. Populations are not always the same. We do new treatment paradigms, outcomes improve. And so an AI model built once may not actually always continue to exhibit the same performance that's there. So I think the field is maturing in how it advances and pulls those in. But when the clinical areas we're in, there's a very, very high expectation that AI is going to be integral to just all about all parts of the healthcare system. This is near huge amounts of data, huge amounts of complexity. AI really can augment the decision makers, not replace them and act in assurance of precision medicine, actually quality of care, helping identify patients for clinical study eligibility. So there's no doubt about that, but getting the foundation in place that allows that trust, transparency, considerations of equity and all those come forward, that's what's gonna be necessary for it to kind of scale as we anticipated well. So you touched on it kind of briefly, but what are some of the ethical issues you think that are associated with it and the regulatory landscape that are impacting those issues? 
So ethical issues have to do with are you seeing all subpopulations that you would expect to? So a lot of the biomedical research that we do tends to occur in academic medical centers. Academic medical centers tend to be in urban areas. Those mm-hmm. people seeking treatment at academic medical centers tend to be of more means. Mm-hmm. They tend to actually be healthier, even though they're seeking treatment. This is even true in areas like cancer care. They tend to be healthier. They tend to be less decompensated. And so they don't necessarily all look like the 80% of patients who receive care in the community or in a regional health system. And so I say that just because that's, that's tended to be the epicenter of a lot of biomedical innovation. So mm-hmm. part of the ethical consideration is, did you really actually, did you really train it against the population that truly is suffering with disease affected by the particular area that you're directing the model to? Is Does it really truly have that representativeness just to know that everybody's going to be kind of a beneficiary? That's one example. I'm happy to do a few more. So Jeff, how is AI able to assist in addressing health disparities? So Natasha, I think that's actually an incredibly important question because AI itself, back to the even some of your starting ones, sometimes now is, I think, unfairly being attributed with perhaps perpetuate bias because we train and we deploy where we always have trained and deployed. So therefore, we're locking in bias more. That's actually not necessarily does not have to be the case. And in fact, there's a lot of efforts and a lot of folks actually working to actually use AI to assure actually that bias and equity is being brought in healthcare. So as an example of that, if I have a disease, and let me just, I'll pick one that is say prostate cancer that may disproportionately affect black American males. And if I actually say that the trial design, I may need to actually assure that the design of the trial, the characteristics of the trial, the lab values in the trial, even where that trial is gonna be run, allows substantial enough participation of sub-cohorts, in this case, Black American men in that particular trial study, the results are statistically valid for that subpopulation or subgroup. And AI models and tools and trial design are now bringing that capability to bear. The same way, I may need to actually identify the clinical sites that have the capability of actually gaining participation of patients of the characteristics to assure that those subpopulations and groups that historically may not have had adequate data and evidence and trial activities that may have contributed to healthcare disparities and inequities, actually that we identify the sites that can also then be consistent with that particular design. And again, AI models are contributing a lot to begin doing that. And then all the way over to the workflows of those healthcare providers, we're now doing patient identification solutions, working in the workflow of those providers to identify the patients of those characteristics and using different mechanisms and algorithms to assure that everyone that it potentially meets the eligibility criteria, and particularly for those for whom may be disproportionately affected by that, are identified for consideration for participation. So in these particular cases, we're actually using the AI, the models, the data access to actually overcome these historical kind of inequities and disparities. That's amazing. And then I guess maybe stepping back a bit, what areas of medicine do you think are best poised to benefit from AI? Maybe I'll kind of divide the answer into a couple different elements. Where are we already seeing benefit kind of occurring And then how do we see this beginning to evolve and change? And where might this go over the midterm and then to the longer term, just kind of state of horizon? So today in medicine, probably disproportionately, 
And here I'm going to stay on the healthcare provider side. I'll make a side note on the healthcare payer side here in a moment. But on the provider side, most of, in radiological imaging, there's been a lot of advances in AI models for image interpretation and augmented interpretation. And this is true in two-dimensional kind of uh, radiological imaging, x-rays and things like that, all the way over to advanced three-dimensional CT, MRIs, et cetera. And here, AI actually can perform lots of different roles. So not only do I have an image, but I can do image pre-processing. I can use it to clear and clean up features of the image that then allow AI models to do a more effective job. Why is this important? I mean, we do have radiologists and other things out there. Well, it's important for a lot of different ways. One is radiologists are actually becoming in shorter supply. So there's a practical consideration, just the number of new radiologists going into practice versus those retiring versus the demand on it. It's the balance not in the direction that you'd really like it to go. Second, AI models don't get tired. And so you know, they can actually work as part of primary diagnosis to actually assure that features are presented to the radiologist for their acceptance, and they don't always accept, but for their acceptance, et cetera. They can also be used for ex post secondary reviews where radiologists may go through and do many, many reads, but to go through and do secondary evaluations, just to make sure that any features that were there weren't missed and then could be you know, represented or flagged or kind of brought up. So there's a strong contribution to quality. Longer term, we kind of see radiological images is gonna to continue to do that. There's open architectures coming into that area. That's going to move over to digital pathology because many of the same model-based approaches will actually work there. So these are digital slides coming from anatomical pathology on different platforms, but you'll start seeing technical convergences around that. The next layer that occurs is we will start connecting electronic medical records, other data types to these imaging data. So electronic medical records, so if I have a non-small cell lung cancer patient, I'm going to do an image interpretation, but I'm also going to bring in portions of the medical record, molecular data, and the integration of those two is further going to aid the accuracy. And now what I'm going through is not just the reading of the actual image, I'm actually beginning to go towards selection of the treatments or the clinical trials that the patient may meet the eligibility for. I'm stopping short of saying this isn't clinical decision support. These are very narrow purpose built towards very specific clinical architectures. And that's actually a very important feature because the way that AI is going to kind of continue to go through healthcare is it's going to be, it's like a pointillist painting in the sense that you're going to get lots of very small aperture solutions done with exquisite precision that together start to continue to provide ever more functionality in supporting the decision-making of those particular clinical teams and making sure they don't miss features, identifying who's responding and not responding. So eventually this, they, this will start to interconnect across data types and that data types will start to interconnect the different clinical disciplines and that will actually come up into a decision architecture that actually will be used by those different disciplines. And in fact, increasingly, clinical data sources, electronic medical record data sources, will actually have a little less utility. There'll be a place of storage of data, but these smarter intelligent layers that actually are able to integrate across multiple modalities of data and these models is actually what's gonna start driving greater quality levels, productivity levels, and much higher precision, and actually, as we're predicting, much better outcomes for the patients. That's very, very good. So let's talk a little bit about Concert AI. How is Concert AI using AI in its company? 
Yeah, thanks, Natasha. We're using it. So one, as you can tell from our name, (laughs) we obviously believe it. So for us, you can think about it as being in sort of three different levels. We use AI in our own operations. And here I'll try to be specific. So as a company, we work with hundreds of healthcare providers and kind of have some of our clinical solutions deployed in 1,400 providers in Europe, the United States, and Japan, and work with hundreds here in the United States on different aspects, particularly cancer-focused, although that we're not exclusive to cancer, but have a very deep, large emphasis on with cancer focus. And so we're using AI and natural language processing models to read unstructured portions of record. If you're not familiar with all the unstructured would mean it's not machine readable as it comes out of the source system, being the electronic medical record or laboratory information system. These may be PDF documents, notes from nurses and physicians, and we can parse them. We can use approaches called BERT and others that allow us to effectively turn all that non-accessible, non-readable into a machine-readable form such that analyses can be done. We use AI models to interrogate the data for quality control. We're looking for values that can't be found in nature. So a human temperature shouldn't be recorded as 131 degrees Fahrenheit. That would not be possible and still, you know, see portions of the of the record extend beyond that point or things. So you can actually start to use this for quality control. So that's so in our operations, AI and natural language processing, again, augmenting our clinical workforce and other part is kind of part of how we manage and process data. Then above that level, we actually start to develop AI models and solutions that are very specific in our software as a service layer. So we have a set of analytic solutions that allow one to identify, there's something called metastatic status, which is the staging and the where you are in the cancer journey. And in electronic medical records, it's usually done at just the first point of diagnosis, but we have AI models that can read the record and assess that status at any point in time. Non-small cell lung cancer does not have its own ICD code, so we can read the record and assess whether that's a non-small cell or small cell lung cancer that's in it. And all the way up to some fairly complicated of predicting outcomes, predicting response. So that's in our kind of analytic environment. We have clinical trial design tools that actually go back to actually assuring that clinical studies can be designed robustly, minimum of burden, minimum of bias, overcome, as we discussed before, some aspects of health equity. We're actually using AI solutions to identify patients for treatment eligibility, all the way over to our Terra Recon solution, which is a radiological image interpretation solution. So now you understand why I use those as kind of a reference point, actually is now opening up an AI machine learning layer that we will deploy 510K and software as a medical device solutions to, but it's gonna be an open architecture that provider entities and other third parties can actually bring their models and architecture to. So when you think about this, I almost went through a series of workflows that started thinking about from how do I gain an insight into where there may be benefit of a new therapy or a new therapeutic approach to how do I design that therapeutic approach? How do I run that therapeutic approach? How do I find patients, run the trial, interpret the trial, now do clinical diagnosis? So we think of ourselves as kind of going through that end-to-end flow, and we think of ourselves as trying to bring together vast amounts of data of different types to different decision makers orchestrating that in a way that aids their efficiency and effectiveness on things in ways that weren't possible before, but deeply partnered with those 
biomedical innovators and healthcare providers. And we're kind of nestled in between those two ecosystems. That's what drives a lot of what we do. We have 150 actively deployed AI models in production in the different solutions that we're kind of deploying today. Oh, that's amazing. And then, so just one final question for you. Say there is a business that's looking somehow to implement AI in their operations. Is there, are there any tips you have for them or any suggestions? That's a really good question. So I think part of it is, you know, a big part of AI and doing anything that has a data science-centric approach, data and the data management, the preparation of the data, the accessibility of a company's data, that's like one of the big impediments. And, and quite frankly, if you were looking at our data science team, 70% plus minus the work and the effort they do is just preparing the data before they can actually start to develop the model. Mm. So really for a lot of organizations to sort of think about taking a data science AI and starting to bring intelligence into their enterprise, a lot of it's gonna to have to be concerned with where are those data and historically large enterprise applications locked down data into these functionally aligned pieces of infrastructure. Whereas a lot of what we'd want to do in AI machine learning is we want to actually bring new workflows. So we actually want to collapse things and we want to aid efficiencies and we want to bring intelligence that orchestrates functions in ways that are not siloed. So part of that actually is overcoming that in the data architecture at that foundational level. And then the next part of it is some rules and principles internally. You need a different governance model when you're actually deploying kind of your models. Where are they deployed? Which ones are in use? Where are they in your workflows? Which ones continue to be valid? You almost wanna have a, a decision, a discrete decision-making process of where I'm gonna model, where I'm gonna deploy, how I'm gonna validate, how I'm gonna release, and how I'm gonna manage it on an ongoing basis. That's true whether I'm a provider, a corporate entity, a research entity, it doesn't matter, some of that same aspects is kind of in there. And then the last part is anticipate and allow that as you can change workflows, bring that intelligence, bring that orchestration, allow then and look for how the organizational model itself can now be a beneficiary of some of these new efficiencies and new ways of working and intelligence ways of working. So you may find that the legacy operation, which was much more sequential, may not kind of look the same. So, but you don't, I mean, that doesn't have to be a first order effect, that can be a second order, but you do need to start with that data and that kind of hierarchy bringing on top. Our personal view though, is we see tremendous value. I mean, we see it in our own organization and we see it in what we're capable of bringing to our customer base. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to walk through us with discussing how AI is used and can be used in, in healthcare and some of the benefits and some of the, the things that need to be improved. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this production from Foley & Lardner, LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley & Lardner, LLP, on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. And listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind, expressed or implied 
as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.